The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Well, amen. Good singing today. Um, it's good, to, Ethan's right, it's good to gather and for us to remember and to focus our attention on our God. Let me invite you, as the choir's coming in, uh, to open your copy of God's Word to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. Uh, We're going to look at uh, a few verses this morning as we're walking through this book together. Uh, It's been so long in this book. Let me just remind you of um, the the title here of our series. This series I've titled, A Living Reflection of the Living God. And the reason for that is, if you've been following through with us in 1 Corinthians, or if you've read it on your own, it's not hard to figure out that the, the church at Corinth was a messed up church. They had a lot of issues, um, lots of things going on where they were in disobedience and confusion and misrepresenting God, and they were nothing uh, of a reflection of the living God. In fact, they were reflecting the culture around them more than they were their God they were claiming to worship and follow. So that's the reason for this. We've walked through all sorts of issues. Today we come to this chapter. We opened this chapter last week, and this, this chapter in itself gives us an entire theology of the resurrection. Uh, last week, we spent some time, uh, Paul opens this book, the first 11 verses, and he's talking to these in Corinth, those who are there, who some of them, they don't believe in a bodily resurrection. Now, they believe probably, possibly, that Jesus was raised from the dead because that was part of the original Uh, testimony that was shared with them. That was part of the original sermon that they heard, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. So they, in some ways, believed that resurrection, but they just don't believe that there will be a physical bodily resurrection for anyone else. Uh, It was common in that day to believe that the body itself, that the physical matter of the body was evil, that it was a seat of evil, and therefore they could not imagine an eternity like, like Paul and others are preaching about and Jesus taught about where a body would fit in. They, 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 they saw these bodies, they lived in these bodies, and they knew just how evil and how they were breaking down and all these things, and they couldn't imagine a heaven where they would be of any use. And I said last week we can sometimes agree with them. It's not hard to, to go where they go because we wake up in the morning with all sorts of pains, uh, maybe a, a new pain every day, uh, or new hair growing places, or less hair growing in other places, and and all sorts of things that go on in our bodies, but not just the physical ailments, but we, we know what we do in these bodies sometimes, the sin that we participate in with our hands and with our feet and with our eyes, ears, and our mouths. We, we know where we go in these bodies, and sometimes we can be just like them and just say, how could these ever fit in? I would just like to get rid of this. And sometimes the idea of a spiritual eternity without a body sounds like a pretty good idea. But the Bible doesn't promise us that. In fact, the Bible promises us that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so also will we be if we've professed faith and are trusting in Christ alone. That it's a bodily resurrection. And I, I thought about this this morning. I, I woke up this morning at well, early for me. I'm not an early riser, but I woke up early laying in the bed and just thinking about this and about the service today. And one of the thoughts I had is, this may be a little weird for you or a little maybe creepy for you, but there's going to be a day across the street when the ground erupts 
all over that yard. And all that work that F.E. has done will be torn up because those graves will finally release the bodies that are held there. That's going to happen. That's, that's, that's an amazing thought, but they don't believe it, and we live in a day where there are people all around us that, that think we are a little bit kooky for believing something like that. They think that it's just a little too far out there that we've drank just a little bit too much of the Kool-Aid and we need to maybe just scale back a little bit. Well, if the world feels that way, should we change our message? What Paul's going to show us is in his day, no. In our day, no. Still, no. Because I want to show you today, Paul wants to show us in this text that the resurrection, not just the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection of our physical bodies is needed. It is necessary, and we have great hope because of it. Last week we looked at the fact that there's much evidence for the resurrection, that it is real, that it is verifiable, that he he appeared after he was raised from the dead to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, that he appeared to all those apostles, that he even appeared to Paul, he says, as one born out of time, sort of a freak as they were looking at him. It's real. It's, it's verifiable. There are close to probably 600 eyewitnesses at the time of this writing that could, that could testify to this. Or if it was false, very easily debunk this. And we looked at the fact that the resurrection of Christ is necessary not just not just in a simple way, but we need it for everything. We need it for our justification to be forgiven by God. We need it for the power to live out what the Bible calls us to live as believers. And we need it because Christ is the first fruits. And if he's not raised, then we won't be raised. We won't be glorified. There is no heaven for us either. So we, we need the resurrection of Christ. And we also, I want to show you today that we need the physical resurrection of our own bodies and I just blew all that first page of my notes, so we'll, we'll go on to, to the second page. Uh, I want to read the text for us, and as I read the, the text this morning, this is the, the title of this sermon, How Can Some of You Say That There Is No Resurrection? Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead... How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And it's tempting to leave it right there. But there is a verse after this where Paul erupts in the adoration of his God when he says, but in fact Christ 
has been raised from the dead. Let's pray together as we look at this text. Let's pray. God, this morning we come to this passage and we come to this point in our service and we need you to instruct us. We confess to you, God, that we are filled with pride. God, we'd rather hide in our own sin. We're blind to it even. We'd rather defend our actions even when we we know that we're wrong than humble ourselves and admit our faults. We prefer to talk about our openness and vulnerability rather than actually experiencing it with others. God, we come to following you and we'd rather have to-do lists that we can manage. But the reality is, God, if, even if we had those to-do lists, we'd find that there's no way we could ever check off all the boxes. Therefore, God, I pray that you would come God, this morning and through me, God, you would teach us. God, that you would tear down the walls of pride and bitterness. God, that you would show us our evil. God, that this morning in this place, you would convince us of how much we need the forgiveness and life-giving power of the gospel of Jesus. God, that you would turn us from ourselves to you. And God, I pray this for your glory and in the name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, I want to walk through this with you, and I've got really two points. The second point has six subpoints, okay? So don't get excited when I say two points. Uh, the first one is short, the, the second one is rather long, but, but I promise you that I'm going to respect your time today. Uh, I want you to see, first off, as we dive into this passage, that their position on not believing in a bodily resurrection is an inconsistent position. It's what philosophers call a a self-refuting argument. This is what Paul means when he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. What Paul's saying is, look, if you're making an absolute statement that in no way at any time has there ever been or ever will be anyone raised from the dead, then that statement also includes Christ. So your argument is saying that you don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead. He looks at their position and notices this glaring inconsistency. They're making this absolute statement against something that they supposedly affirm. And I would like to think that they just haven't thought this through. This happens all the time in our world today. People make statements about what they believe, but their actions betray them and say something different. You you talk to people, and maybe it's not as popular today as it once was. Maybe it's ever more so. But someone might say, well, you know, there's there's absolutely no absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure about that? I'm absolutely sure that there's absolutely no truth. You see the inconsistency? Even in their argument, they're defeating what they say to believe. As Christians, we don't have to be afraid of truth. I want you to see this, and this is what Paul wants us to see, I believe, just in this opening part. We don't have to be afraid of truth. We don't have to bow down to the culture. After all, the the one who created the universe and all that's in it, out of nothing, by the way, what was there? In the beginning was God. Out of nothing, he speaks and creates the universe. The one who has created the universe and all that's in it out of nothing and now governs it and sustains it. 
The rain that we had yesterday, two and a half inches or so, John said, where, where, where he lives. We had a lot of rain. Where'd that come from? God. The rain we had all summer long that we all enjoyed because gardens were once again green. Now, it did a number on pecans. But that's God. God is governing this same universe, the same God who created the universe and all that's in it out of nothing and now governs it and sustains it is the same one who has written all the truth by which it operates. So when when scientists and archaeologists discover more out there, their discoveries, what we're finding, only serve to confirm what God has already told us. It's as if when they discover something new, God is saying, you haven't scratched the surface. Just come a little further. He's inviting them in and their work confirms the Word of God because God's Word is truth. All truth is God's truth. It all comes from Him. This is God's world. We're just living in it. We don't have to be afraid of truth. And Paul wants them to see their error so he follows the logic of their position. And this is the second point. I want you to see this second point, it's all under the, the heading of if what they're saying is true. Okay? So if what they're saying is true, and then I'm going to give you six things that, that, are, that are consequences of if what they're saying is true. First, if what they're saying is true, then not even Christ has been raised. He says this in verse 13, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Jesus has not been raised... If he had not been raised, we looked at this last week, what would that have said about him? Would it not have said that the, the just wrath that God rightly feels for all of the sin that has ever been committed by anyone who will ever past, present, or future believe, all that wrath stored up, poured out on Jesus. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, does it not say that somehow that just wrath must not have been all poured out. That Jesus in some way must have, if he hadn't been raised from the dead, he must have had some sin of his own. Now, I come back to this, and those of you who were last week, you're saying, you're just repeating the same thing. I know I am, because you don't act like you heard it last week. If if Jesus isn't raised, we have to come to this conclusion that Jesus must have had some sin of his own, that, that he deserved to die. And there would be no way that he could have ever died in the place of anybody else because he would be just like us and deserve to die on his own. And we couldn't die for him. He couldn't die for us. We would have to die for ourselves. If Christ has been raised, I want you to feel the weight. I'm not even going to come out of that and and give you the the truth of what we know. I just want you to feel the weight of that, that if, if what they're saying is true, then not even Christ has been raised. Secondly, if what they're saying is true, our preaching is in vain. That's what he says in verse 14 when he says, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. I want you to keep in mind that the people that he's writing to are people that were converted to Christianity when they heard Paul preach. They heard this him preach, or maybe if it wasn't Paul, it was one like him or one sent with him. It was one of the apostles some, somewhere along the way. But they heard the same message. They were preached to. Romans 10, how will they believe unless someone tells them? 
And, and Paul's writing to them. Probably he's the one who preached to them. They were converted, saved, brought to faith in Christ after hearing his preaching. And he says to them, look, if Christ isn't raised, if there is no resurrection of the dead at all, then Christ isn't raised and our preaching is in vain. But they knew what they had experienced. They, they knew how when Paul preached the gospel, the beautiful truth of the gospel, that life-giving news came rushing into their ears, and for the first time, they felt alive. They realized in that moment, they remembered how it felt to go from dead to alive. They knew this, and when Paul says to them, look, if there is no resurrection of, of the dead, and there is no Christ resurrected, then our preaching is in vain. And they knew this couldn't be because they knew how their lives had changed. They knew the reality of John 5.24 when Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed over from death to life. They knew this about themselves. So Paul's arguing here from this logic. Follow the logic out. If you're saying there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain. He's beginning to break down their argument. But wait, I know what I heard, and I know what happened, and I know what I believed, and I know the change that came about. Not only that, but Paul goes further, and he doesn't stay, and he doesn't simply say our preaching is in vain as to, as to no effect. As if, as if preachers everywhere and Christians everywhere should just stop preaching this message. Now, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we should stop. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say our preaching is in vain if there is no resurrection of the dead. Instead, he goes on and he says, the message that you believed was not just in vain, it was a lie. Verse 15, look at it. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. This is more than just being mistaken. Paul's not saying, well, you know, hey, we thought, we, we thought he was raised and we were mistaken and we told you this. We didn't mean to. Sorry, our bad. No, go back. The first 11 verses. After Jesus is raised, he appears to Peter and to the twelve, to five hundred brothers at one time. And he appears to all these others. James is skeptic and he appears to the most violent hater that the church had seen to that point, to Saul. For this thing to have just been a mistake, and there's no way. This is more than a mistake. This would have had to have been an intentional misleading, a big one. The whole thing would have had to have been a very elaborate hoax where 600 people or so get together and they dream this up and they keep this thing going even to the point where they give their lives for it. would have been contrived in the mind of Jesus himself. As if Jesus would have been no more, if, if he's not raised from the dead, he would have been no more than a, than a charlatan. He would have been no more than a, than a cult leader swaying people. And 
what Paul's pointing out to them, look, if you're saying there is no resurrection of the body, then Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain, and this whole thing was a hoax. And guess what? You were duped. Yeah, we fooled you. We brought you in. In the same way in the, in the 70s where Jim Jones and the People's Temple Group or in the 90s where Marshall Applewhite and Heaven's Gate committed these mass cult suicides, Jesus would have been and his followers would have been painted in the same light. Paul wants them to feel the weight of this. That Do you, do you realize what you're saying? But he goes on. He goes to number four and he says, if there is no bodily resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised, and our preaching is in vain, and this whole thing was really made up anyway. It's a lie, and your faith is worthless. In verse 14, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is in vain. In verse 17, he says, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Do you know what the word vain means? It's, it's, it's the root of the word that, that Solomon came to when he did his grand experiment in the book of Ecclesiastes, when he experienced all that the world had to offer, and he said at the end of it is vanity. It's emptiness. When Paul here says that your faith is vain, he's saying, look, it's empty. If, if Christ is not raised, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then your faith is empty empty. It's without basis. It's futile, he says. It's useless. It's pointless. Ever been a part of a futile activity? You know, like trying to give a cat a bath? You ever done anything like that? It's just pointless. Just let the cat lick itself and go on, right? And this is what he's saying here. It's, it's pointless. It's what you're believing is, why do you believe that? If, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not raised. Our preaching is in vain. It's an all a lie, and it's worthless for you to believe this thing. Since Jesus must have deserved to die for his own sin, he could not have died in their place. I've already said this to you. Jesus could no more have died in their place than anybody. Therefore, he says, you'd still be in your sin. You'd still be guilty, standing condemned, before God. Look, he doesn't, he doesn't do away with the idea of the reality of God here. You'd still be in your sins. You'd still be guilty. Unjustified. Romans 4. We looked at this verse last week. Romans 4.25 makes it clear that unless Jesus was raised, there would be no justification. And I pointed out to you last week that we've come accustomed to hearing that Jesus died for our justification or our forgiveness of sins, and he did. But Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. So if he's not raised, we're still in our sin. If there's no such thing as resurrection, their trust in Jesus would be no different than if you came in here this morning and you went to your seat we're a Baptist church. Most people have like seats that they sit in. We don't put names on them, but people kind of have their own seat. Look, if you're a guest here, sit anywhere you want. And if anybody comes to you and says, hey, you're in my seat, you come tell me because I want to talk to them, right? Um, but if you came in today and you went to your seat and you looked at it, and the leg, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was obviously snapped off. But somebody had come in and they had taken this, this leg, it's snapped off, but they had 
just stuck it back up under the chair and kind of propped it up there and then sort of walked away, kind of like removing a piece from a Jenga game, would you sit in that chair? There's not one of you, if you saw it, would sit in that chair. Now, somebody in here, I told the youth the other day, I used this illustration, some of, some of you in here would do that to somebody in here, trying to get them to sit in the chair. But nobody in here in their right mind would say, that chair's broken, I'll sit in that. He says, if, if you still trust in this thing, it's like sitting in something that's broken. You, why would you trust it? You're going to wind up on the ground. It's like getting into a car that you know has no brakes. You've got a used car lot. They're selling you a car. Why is this car so cheap? Oh, it doesn't have any brakes. But other than that, it's great. I'll take it. Yeah, because you're going to die on the way home. That's not good. This is what he's saying here. Your, your faith is worthless. Number five, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And our preaching is in vain. And this whole thing is a lie. And your faith is in vain. It's worthless. It's empty. And number five, the faith of believers, all the believers who had already died, would have perished. Verse 18, he says, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. This is not a teaching a doctrine of soul sleep or anything else. This is meaning that they perished. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then they perished. It's more than dying physically or more than even annihilation, just coming to an end. It is eternal suffering enduring the wrath of a holy and just God. Feel the weight of that. Paul says to them, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then everybody who's ever believed and has already passed on, they've all perished. They're all suffering. They're all in hell. It means everyone who had looked forward to or embraced Christ was there in hell. Adam and Eve, possibly. We don't know, but possibly when God promised to them to send the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent... Hopefully, they were looking forward to the one day seed of the woman to come by faith. That Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, David, John the Baptist, go on and on through the list of these. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at the hall of faith, if you will, all of those people that are listed there, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then they're all in hell. Feel the weight of that. Not only that, but everyone who would ever trust in Christ and die before He comes, they're in hell. All the disciples, at this point, all the disciples... Every one of the 3,000 that believed at Pentecost, by now, in hell. Paul himself, in hell. Every convert from the early missionary journeys, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, Adoniram Judson, Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, D.L. Moody, if you're a believer here and you owe your faith in some ways to the upbringing of your grandparents because they believe, then your grandparents, if they have passed on, according to this, if there is no resurrection, would be in hell. 
If your parents are gone and they were believers, hell. Feel the weight of this. Paul wants them to feel the weight of this. What you're saying, do you really want this position? Do you really want this to be true for the sake of being palatable to the culture around you? Gordon Fee, in his commentary, says, to deny the resurrection of the dead is not only to deny one's past, but finally to deny any real future as well. Thus the whole Corinthian existence, past, present, and future, has come to nothing if they are correct. There's one more I want to give to you today. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, our preaching is in vain, the whole thing's a made-up lie. Your faith is empty and worthless. The faith of every believer who has ever believed but died, they are all perishing, suffering eternally. But six is this. We, because we gather here today, still professing belief in this one who, if this is true, is dead in the ground, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If all of what we've said today, all that we've discussed is true, then wouldn't it be stupid to keep believing? Wouldn't we be the most foolish people on the planet? Wouldn't people pity us? If we did keep believing, would would we not be the most pitiful people People anywhere. We'd be fools who waste their lives following a dead Savior. Can a dead Savior really give life? No. If if this is all true, what they're saying, their position, if it is true, then we should abandon this. Paul goes on later in the chapter and says, if this is true, then we should eat and drink because tomorrow we die. We should live it up because this will be the only life that we have. We should live it to its full because when it comes to an end, it's over. And the reality is there's a world out there that's doing that. And they they don't have hope. They're empty. But because they're empty, they would like for us to be just as empty with them. And so they tell us that we have to adjust this message and this gospel and and let go of this thing of the resurrection. You can preach all sorts of things about Jesus. You can say he was a great teacher. He was a very kind and helpful man. You can even say he was set up that he, there, were, there were this group of religious men that, that, uh, that plotted against him, and they came in the darkness of night, and they arrested him, they beat him, and they murdered him through a, a power-hungry government to get rid of him. You can even say that, and they'll believe that. But you start telling people that Jesus was raised from the dead and watched the revolt. They will say this, you're... Stupid if you believe that, they will say. That's crazy. Do you really believe that? 2014, this is not the stuff of myth. This is, this is, are you living in Chronicles of Narnia all the time? What's up? They would say these sorts of things to us. Now, I'm tempted to end the sermon right there without giving you any hope. 
And the reason for doing so would be this, so that you walk out of here feeling the full weight of what it would be like if we did not have the hope of resurrection. That you would let that sink in. That it, it would haunt you as you walk away of what this would be, what it would mean. My hope is that, that you will walk away with this haunting you for a little bit. That you will ponder this over so that the next time that you're tempted to think that we must adjust this gospel, that we must throw away the doctrine of resurrection because it seems too antiquated or too kooky, that you might have it settled in your mind and in your heart that it is not something that we can throw away, that we need it. That it is necessary that we need the resurrection just as much as we need His atonement on the cross. I pray that you might challenge others as they challenge you. That you might ask them the question that I started off with. When they challenge you to say, do you really believe that? That you might be ready in your mind and with your words to say, well, how can, how can you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And follow this logical trail as to where it would lead and point them to the hope of this resurrection. Now, I told you I'm tempted to end it right there, but I'm not going to. I'm simply going to make one more point of application, and it's this. Verse 20 goes on, and it says, but Christ has been raised. He says to them, he has been raised. We don't have to worry about this. He takes them down this awful trail, but he says, look, you don't have to go there. We can imagine it in our minds, but thanks be to God, it's not true. And if, follow me, if their position is wrong, then we can reverse all that is true if they were right. If, if there is resurrection of the dead, then Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised then our preaching is not in vain. And we should preach the gospel without adjusting it, without compromising it whatsoever, because we should know that in the preaching of the gospel, there will be some that will hear and they will mock and they will walk away and they will call us names. They did all those things to Christ. But there will also be those that hear and respond and believe and are saved. And if there is resurrection of the dead, it's not a lie. It is a more settled reality than the programming on your TV for tomorrow or, or anything else that you're going to base your life on. The security of your job, the security of your marriage. It's, it's a more settled reality than any of that. It is done. It is, it, is, it is a reality. It's not made up. It is a truth. If there is resurrection of the dead, then Christ is raised. Our preaching is not in vain. This whole thing is not a lie. Your faith and my faith is not worthless. We're not sitting in broken chairs. We're sitting in the chair. The only chair that will hold us throughout all of eternity. We are driving the only car that has brakes. If there is resurrection of the dead, then those who have died believing we will follow them 
But we won't follow them to a perishing eternity. We will follow them into heaven and into glory where we will live and rule and reign and enjoy the presence of God forever. If there is resurrection of the dead and Christ has been raised, our preaching is not a waste of time. All Christianity is not based on a lie. Our faith is not worthless. The faith of those who have gone on is not worthless. And we're not suckers who've been duped and fallen for this. This is not wasting our lives. We are not wasting time here. We do have this one life to live and let it be lived for the glory of the only one who is eternally worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would take what's been said and God as I prayed before we started, God, that you would take this and open our blind eyes to our own sin. God, that you would tear down the walls of pride and bitterness. God, that you would lead us to see your love and your mercy and your grace extended to us in the gospel. And God, I pray that in this place that we would respond that we would trust You, that we would turn from our sin and trust You. God, I pray that we would not run from the truth or adjust the truth, but God, that we would simply bask in the truth because the truth is glorious. God, call us to Yourself and do great things for Your name through us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to give you an opportunity to think about this. And I want you to think about this beyond this time. But we want to give you just a few minutes here, a few seconds, a few minutes to think on this. Ethan's going to play and we'll begin to sing. And you don't have to stand and sing when he instructs you to stand and sing. Maybe you need to just spend some time right where you are communicating with God. Maybe you do need to sing. Maybe as we sing these songs, your heart erupts with gladness. Maybe you're here today and you don't know this hope. You've never trusted the one who has been raised. Your life you found this morning without Christ is the most pitiful life on the planet. And today, you know that you must turn from your sin and trust Him to sit fully in Him, to rest solely in Him as your only hope of being made right with God. If that's you today, then I'm going to be seated right down here on the front At some point, I may stand and sing. Don't worry about interrupting me. If I'm standing and singing, even if I have my eyes closed as I'm singing, feel free to come up and put your hand on me. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to help you any way I can. But let's not leave this place hearing this truth and then just tucking it away so that we can get to lunch. Let's linger on this. Let's hear the wooing and the calling of God. Let's worship Him. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.